Howdy, folks, and welcome to A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb, and I'm very excited about this conversation. You know, every week we come to you with a conversation about news, events, uh, issues, particularly through the lens of the Green Party's four pillars of peace, justice, democracy, and ecology. On today's program, we'll be joined by Bruce Dixon. Bruce is a former Black Panther, a former Democratic Party operative who actually worked on the legendary Harold Washington campaign. Uh, he is now a, a member of the Georgia State Executive Committee. He is also the managing editor of the Black Agenda Report, uh, a true intellectual and straight-up revolutionary. Bruce Dixon, welcome to A Green Way Forward. Hey, thanks for inviting me, David. So, Bruce, you and I know each other uh, for a minute. Uh, We've done a lot of uh, work together, both in movement work and Green Party work. Uh, And I've had you on as a guest, uh, not only on this program, but others. I want to jump right into it because you wrote a piece in Black Agenda Report uh, that is chock full of critique, specifically of the Green Party. Uh, Many in the Green Party are more accustomed to you turning your critique towards capitalism or the Democratic Party or Democratic Party front groups, but this time you've lasered in on the Green Party. Before we get into the specifics of that, I want to ask you, as a Green Party organizers, why offer this kind of critique? Are you trying to undermine the party? Well, the um, well, the party right now is in a crisis, and um, I suppose we're going to spend um, a little time talking about that later on in this half an hour. Um, You know, but if the party's in a crisis, we better talk about it or else the party doesn't mean very much to us. Um, I don't think we're going to see revolutionary change in this country without a party. Whether that's going to end up being the Green Party or not is in part up to us who are in the Green Party right now. Um, And whether we can get a hold of things and make them work the way um, a revolutionary party ought to be working in this particular situation. And so Bruce, you, the Green Party has challenges and it, you know, it's up in the air whether we'll be able to meet them or not. So uh, you've actually got four pretty uh, uh, laser-focused critiques, a lack of an organizing methodology. Uh, you critique the identity caucuses, uh, Green's lack of political clarity, uh, and Green's sort of fetishism around electoral politics. I mean, uh, but before we get into those specifics, if you want to share your assessment of what this uh, crisis is in a more general manner, I want to open up the space and give you the opportunity to do so. Well, in a general manner, the, um, uh, the Green Party has caucuses that, um, for want of a better word, I don't like the terminology myself, but people call them identity caucuses for shorthand. Um, there's so a- I'm going to interrupt you for just one moment, Bruce, because that's one of the four specific things, but it like... Uh, this general crisis that you speak of, what are you trying to get at here? Well, the the crises that um, the se- you know the several crises that the Green Party um, is in the grip of right now um, are going to make it. Well, resolving these crises is probably a a an indicator of whether the Green Party is going to be. Uh, a useful party, whether it can be uh, repurposed from whatever it was up to this time to be a revolutionary party of the people, 
there's some steps that you got to do. And there, and if they, they're in a position right now where if they don't take those steps, then that's probably not going to happen with this party. It's probably going to happen somewhere else. So, so Bruce, is, what so we'll do at the time, this, this is, you know, a crisis point where things are going to go one way or the other. So maybe it would be more illuminating for uh, the viewers and listeners to actually just start to hit, go a little bit deeper into the four points that you make uh, in the article that appeared uh, in Black Agenda Report. Your first critique is uh, the, the Green Party lacks an organizing methodology. Can you say more about what you mean by that? Yeah, right now, um, you know, the Green Party, well, first of all, the Green Party what they're trying to, there's some people who look at Democrats and Republicans and they look at Greens and they say, wow, you know, obviously one bunch of, po- these two people are, these two bunches are serious and this other one isn't, um, you know, you know, because they've achieved this degree of following and the Greens haven't. That's, you know, kind of a little off because what the Greens are trying to do is orders of magnitude more difficult than what Republicans and Democrats are trying to do. Republicans and Democrats have the benefit of mass media, which is how they talk to their people and how they mobilize. And um, right now, and they aim to keep people actually disorganized so that they can speak to and manipulate people using um, mass media. The, The Greens have to do something absolutely different because they don't have access to cable and the rest of this. So they, they've got to do something a thousand times harder. Um, what they've got to do, um, you know, what they've got to do is they've got to stop using tokenism to make a lot of their decisions on how they deal with um, not too many. Well, there's a situation. No, wait, wait a minute. I'm, I'm going back and forth here. Yeah, you really so are. So I'm going to actually ask you if you can uh, tell us, what do you mean when you say that the Green Party lacks organizing methodology? Yeah, right. I was answering one of the others. Um, the organizing methodology thing is that in many states right now, all you've got to do is have a half dozen people or four or five people in a room, and they can execute a document with th- their state authorities that makes them a party. Okay, and that's um, um, all you have to do to start with as a Republican or a Democrat. Unfortunately, if you just do that. Um, and you're a green, you don't have media in back of you. You often, the first four or five people in the room may have good intentions, but maybe none of them knows how to organize a party. And if they don't know how to organize a party and they're not even conducting a conversation about how to organize one, then it's no surprise that they're not able to organize one. Or should Then be. I'm going to ask you, Bruce, uh, what... Uh, what what is it about organizing a party? You've been uh, in the Black Panther Party. Uh, you are a, a longtime member of the Georgia Green Party. So, is Georgia organizing according to the methodology? And if so, what does it look like? Uh, we're still flailing around. Um, we're still flailing around trying to do that and ask us that question in sixty or ninety days. And I think we'll have. Um, something to show right now. We don't have as much to show as I'd like. Um, But our situation in Georgia is really a reflection of the crisis that the national party is in. Um, The crisis of the national party has everything to do with our problems here in Georgia. 
Um, remember that the the Stein campaign committed to ballot access, aggressive ballot access drives in North Carolina and Georgia. And then during the and now Georgia is a state where you need 60,000 signatures to get on the ballot to get 60,000 signatures. You're going to be talking to a couple hundred thousand people. You're going to pass out half a million pieces of literature. You're going to generate tens of thousands of phone calls, okay, to marshal your own army in the case of all this. All doing this at the minimum is going to cost somebody at least a hundred, hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So I got to stop you, Bruce, because actually I think you're dead wrong here. And I'm going to step to you. Well, let me organize to another. Let me spin out one or if I could spin out one or two more minutes of it. um, Go ahead. It's going to cost it. Now, the only way that can be undertaken is uh, the Green Party doesn't dispose of that kind of money. Okay. Um, The only place that money can come from, if you don't raise it locally, is a presidential campaign. And the Stein campaign raised several times what the entire Green Party did during 2016. I don't remember the exact figure, but it's definitely several times. And um, there was a commitment made to do this earlier. And the commitment was um, made by the candidate and then walked back by the campaign manager. Now, I would say that's racism. I would say that um, there's... there's um, uh, North Carolina and Georgia are one fifth the black population in this country, 20% of the black population. Now, what is, uh, you know, what are the leadership or what were the leadership of the Georgia Green Party supposed to tell people why the national camp, why the national party in the person of the Stein campaign walked away from them? You so, know, Bruce, again, uh, so, uh, I, I mean, I, I can't believe that you've just dropped a, a, uh, a an identity politics kind of argument on me like this, but let's take this head on. Politics because, no, Bruce, well, you've had your chance. Sorry. Now, I'm going to actually tell you that in 2000, I was the manager for the Nader campaign in 2000. Uh, I was able to collect 76,100 signatures in an all-volunteer effort. The only money that I got from the Nader campaign was to pay me as a full-time organizer. Uh, and I collected 76,000 signatures uh, in a 75 day window. And my signatures could only come from people who were already registered to vote, but had not bothered to vote in either the democratic or the Republican party primary. So if you want to actually talk about an organizing methodology, I'll agree with you. Uh, people actually have to do the work and have to be organized and have to be I- embedded within communities. But to 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 make a critique about the Stein campaign not getting the Green Party of Georgia on the ballot when I know tens of thousands of dollars went to, to Georgia, which is more than I had back in 2000, that doesn't actually calculate. That doesn't make sense to me. When the, well, I don't know about tens of thousands of dollars going to Georgia because I had no part of it. I drew up, uh, me and Howie Hawkins and a few other people drew up a national ballot access plan for the Stein campaign, which the campaign said that it approved. And it um, specified, you know, um, certain things happening in Georgia. 
and the amounts it would cost. Hundreds of thousands of dollars is what no, you were asking for. And if you want to spend our time complaining that you didn't get hundreds of thousands of dollars from a candidate in order to get on the ballot, that's we can that's talk about one. that. That's but I think what, you're not making your case about organizing methodology. Okay, well, that, but that's not what that's not what the plan we drafted. Um, that's not what the plan we drafted said uh, was anything about hundreds of thousands of dollars. It was about um, firing up local efforts and uh, paying some staff people to make the to to begin to make the ten thousand, fifteen thousand phone calls that you'd have to make every two months to get that going to, you know, that would be necessary to raise the money. The campaign said that it would only uh, spend money on, um, on, on precariously employed uh, petition gatherers. It would not, it refused to spend any money on people that would make the hundreds of calls of volunteers from the lists that we did have and that we were producing from. And then after that, I got, I got cancer and I had a stem cell transplant the first of March. So I was out of action during a lot of the key parts of this, but we submitted, uh, we submitted the plans and the plans. Were, but, but my point in all this is that, is that the green party didn't have a plan to organize Georgia. The, you know, did, didn't have a plan to organize Georgia. They don't have um, um, an organizing manual uh, a set organizing methodology. They're used to um, the first five people in the room, they'll accept as party leadership or they'll accept as organizers, even, you know, especially if they're, especially if they're black, there's a peculiar thing of how tokenism works. When there's a bunch of white people in the room and they say that there's not enough black people, then what they do is they say, okay, well, the next three black people that come in the room, let's make them leaders of the black caucus. Let's make them the black leaders. And what happens if they're not leadership material, if they don't know how to lead? So that's how folks you're you're watching and or listening to the podcast, A Green Way Forward. I'm your host, David Cobb. We're speaking with Bruce Dixon, a longtime Green Party member and leader in Georgia and managing editor of the Black Agenda Report. Uh, Bruce, I want to try to direct the conversation a bit to. You, you, you do reference Jane McElvey uh, and her book, No Shortcuts, Organizing for Power in the Gilded Age. Uh, what do you think that Greens or, in fact, anybody who is actually trying to organize against capitalism and against white supremacy and against imperialism, what would it look like to actually do it effectively? Uh, well, I, I, I did a piece last week that had seven points of what it would look like. Um, but I don't have that piece in front of me right now. Um, but one thing that Jane McElvey has to teach us and that the union movement has to teach us is that uh, when we organize, we're not dealing necessarily with the first four or five people that we meet. Um, when a union organizer goes into a shop, uh, they'll they'll encounter some people who say, yeah, I'm all down for the union. Anything you want to do, let's do it. But oftentimes the first person that comes to you agreeing with you politically is out of touch with other people, is isolated from other people, and um, doesn't have um, a prominent place in any network of other people. They can be useful as an activist, but they're not a leader. Um 
union organizing in um, uh, a workplace involves identifying what they call the organic leaders, the natural leaders, people who are the centers of social networks. And Greens don't look for that or require um, any proof of there being a network uh, before they accept somebody as a steering committee candidate, as a political candidate, as a local leader. There's no testing. It's just whoever volunteers first. And that's um, that's coming to bite us in the butt. Um, and, and well, you know, was- Bruce, it's interesting because like I've read Jane's uh, book. I know her. And her biggest criticism is that uh, these organizations actually have paid staffers who are more interested in protecting their professional organization and their comfort and their inside game in Washington, D.C. That, of course, is not the case uh, in the Green Party. In fact, everybody in the Green Party are unpaid uh, true believers. So at the very least, what we know is that these are folks that are uh, that have broken with the Democratic Party and are trying to do what is arguably the most difficult thing that one can do in politics at all, and definitely the most difficult thing you can do in electoral politics, which is to create an alternative political party. Well, here's the deal. Um, we got to think scale here, all right? Um, it, it's just the fact that we can't all be volunteers and get this done. If we rely on people, if we make it a condition of working in the Green Party that everything has to be done uh by volunteers, then we're only going, then we're predominantly going to attract a class of people who can afford to volunteer. All right. Um, and um, if you look at the Green Party's listservs, you'll see that they're dominated by a lot of white retired professionals who can literally afford to volunteer. You know, um, um, that's, you know, that's, that's a class thing. And that leads to um, your Green Party functionaries all being of, you know, a certain class. And uh, it's it's different. What what or what organizations, uh, poor people's organizations and parties do all around the world is they raise money. Um, and and when they need to, um, they pay staff. What I described a few minutes ago in the mechanics of getting a real volunteer based voter um, registration. Uh, a volunteer-based petition signing thing that's also a voter registration thing and a whole campaign apparatus is you need to be able to make hundreds, even thousands of phone calls per month, okay? If you're not making thousands of phone calls per month and sending out regular newsletters and calling meetings, then you're not going to have enough wind under your wings to generate a party. The only way you're going to get uh, the only way you're going to get um, a thousand phone calls, two thousand phone calls a month made is if you're hiring somebody whose job it is to call volunteers and coordinate all this. You know that's that's the way you have to do this. If you don't do this, so, then you won't. It won't get done. So Bruce, uh, Michael O'Neill, executive producer, has dropped into the links of the live stream for those of you watching or uh, live. Uh, what would an authentic 21st century U.S. left look like? It appeared in the Black Agenda Report. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, just do an internet search, Black Agenda Report, Bruce Dixon, what would an authentic 21st century U.S. left look like? And that article will come up for you. 
I also want to bring Michael O'Neill into this conversation because Michael is also a Green Party organizer in New York State and is actually the campaign manager for Howie Hawkins, who you referenced. Michael, what do you have to ask or add? Thanks, David, and thanks, Bruce. So a couple points. Um, one is that, uh, you know, I think uh, an important distinction that Jane McAlevey makes is that you're going to have staff organizers who are paid, and then you also need to have unpaid organizers. You need both, right? And her critique of the Sololinsky model is that in that model, the staff are the, quote, organizers, and then everyone else is just the members. And then things get weird because there's all kinds of denial in terms of the power relationship between the staff organizers and the members in the, in the Solinsky model. Um, and then Bruce, I, you, you, you talked about how in a workplace we, uh, one can identify organic worker leaders in that McAlevey model, you know, the people that, um, that the workers go to, right. As sort of the, for advice, right? When they've got maybe a problem with management or a question about their job, someone who is competent both in the politics of the work site and also in the technicalities of their job. I was wondering what your thoughts are in terms of how Greens working in a kind of less structured uh, environment, right? In terms of working within our communities, not just in workplaces, what are some of the indicators or some of the ways that we can seek out organic community leaders? And then uh, and then I also just had a, a small point in that in terms of like joining the you know state committee here in New York, there is a kind of structure test that we have to perform, which is that we have to collect petition signatures from a certain percentage of, of registered greens. It's 5% of the district. And it's not a particularly strenuous structure test as these things go in terms of demonstrating that someone has a, an actual connection to the base. But there is a modicum of that. And I think we need to start thinking of these uh, of things like petitioning and some of the things that have become almost rote from from Greens and getting Greens to look at them as this isn't just paperwork that you're handing in the Board of Elections. This is the proof and this is an exercise that you have some modicum of support and you need to treat it as such and you need to maximize that as much as possible to actually – to actually um, demonstrate that and build the most of it. And so that these aren't people who are just signing a piece of paper for you every couple of years, or every time you're running for office. So I know that's a lot, um, but I was hoping you could drill more into this, you know, how do we seek out and recruit uh, organic community leaders uh, since we are in a slightly more nebulous uh, environment than just recruiting within a work site? Well, first of all, workplaces are not the only places where you can find social networks. Um, if your Green Party is on the steps of the courthouse, let's say, talking to people who are just leaving traffic court and, and the criminal courts that feed our mass incarceration system, you'll get, um, you can get a lot of names of people who are interested in the party's brand of politics right then. And then when you go into these, when you um, start visiting, I don't know, um, Prisons, for instance, you'll run into some parents of prisoners and uh, relatives of prisoners who have more, you know, who already have networks that you don't even have. Um, these are people who you'd want to recruit, whether it was in, well, in whatever group you're, <laughs> or in whatever kind of outreach uh, you're doing. Um, losing my glasses here. Uh, New York uh, asked for... Um, candidates and the rest of that. New York 
is much better off than many other green parties. There are um, there are green parties that I've seen where people are just anxious to accept anybody as a candidate, whether they're qualified or not. Um, you know, and and sometimes the candidates, are, sometimes the parties are literally prisoners of the candidate. When 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 green parties sometimes accept the candidate and then uh, maybe endorse that candidate, the candidate's positions may be to the right. And they um, and campaigns don't have any democratic apparatus inside them. So um, some can some parties have actually tried to adopt um, candidates and found their own positions contradicted and conflicted. And it's it's just a mess. A lot of, you know, fun things are possible. But you won't see much of that in New York, I hope, because if there's if our country does have a flagship Green Party, it's probably New York. What can I say? So, you know, Bruce, uh, we're running out of time. I do want to catch what for me I thought was the most important part, not only of this piece, but also the what would an authentic 21st century U.S. left look like. And that was a combination of the lack of political clarity that you say the Greens have and, frankly, the fact that there is not a class consciousness basically in this country, but also uh, in the Green Party. How would you recommend those folks who agree with that assessment? How would you recommend that we go about doing the work of cohering a political clarity and specifically building class consciousness? Two things. We'd have to undertake this as an educational project where we actually have online and in-person educational sessions with each other and walk ourselves through what some of this means instead of just accepting the definitions that come out of the air, which ultimately only benefit somebody else's kind of politics. If we're going to be doing uh, a politics of change, a revolutionary politics, we've got to study that kind of thing. Um, and I've lost the second part of the question. Sorry. That's quite all right. So the second part of the question, uh, I guess it was about class consciousness, but and political clarity. So it sounds to me like you're what you're uh, saying is the Green Party specifically and the left generally has got to commit itself to a type of political education and internal political education that I presume leaves a place for the kind of debate and, and disagreement that you and I have have had on a number of occasions, including even on this program. Over the years. Yeah. Um, so that's Absolutely it. Right now, um, a lot of us on the left have allowed Facebook to teach us our uh, meat space manners. You know, on Facebook, when you disagree with somebody, you uh, call them some names, you unfriend them, then you call their friends names and you cut them off too. And at the end, you're only talking to the people who agree with you. Uh, 95% If somebody, you know, crosses the line and only agrees with you 92%, then they get on the, you know, spit list too. And uh, a lot of us have learned our uh, manners in everyday space, our political manners from that. We've got to um, come up with a new tradition and new ways to engage each other that, uh, you know, um, satisfy what we need to do and make sure that actual discussion takes place between those of us on the left. So, uh, Bruce, the, the time has just really flown by. I do want to give you an opportunity for some final concluding thoughts. Uh, yeah, the um, um, right now we're in a crisis, and the question is, 
can the Green Party be saved? Um, you know, can the Green Party be saved? Can the Green Party, um, you know, abandon some of the habits that it's got um, that led to uh, the particular crisis that, that it's in? Um, you know, we're at we're at a make or break uh, point here. So uh, I want to thank Bruce Dixon of the Black Agenda Report and longtime Green Party leader in Georgia for joining us on this conversation. Uh, I also want to encourage you, the viewer listener, to do uh, a couple of things. Number one, uh, go to Black Agenda, the Black Agenda Report uh, uh, and take a look and do some self-education. Uh, and as part of that self-education, I agree with Bruce that it is absolutely critical for Green Party and any social change effort that's actually worth its salt, that's going to actually challenge the capitalist ruling class, you've got to commit the time to do self-education with other people, collectivize that, and grapple with people. I can tell you the work that I do with Cooperation Humboldt, we have a requirement that you actually participate in our internal study group. There's not a test at the end of it. Uh, however, we are committed that we are going to spend the time to do reading and then do uh, talking about what we've read. It, it does two things. One, it sharpens our analysis. And two, it builds a culture of understanding that debating somebody is actually a, a helpful and useful thing. The second thing I want to do is ask you, the viewer listener, to please share this on your own Facebook page. If you're watching it on a podcast, uh, please share that as well. And of course, if you haven't yet, go to the website, agreenwayforward.org and sign up so we can continue to keep you abreast of upcoming topics, upcoming issues that we'll be talking about. Uh, I also want to thank executive producer Michael O'Neill, who keeps doing this day in and day out as an unpaid volunteer. Uh, and thank you, the viewer listener, for what you're doing. Keep on keeping on. Peace. A Greenway Forward is produced by David Cobb and Michael O'Neill. Go to agreenwayforward.org for links to our podcast feed and iTunes subscription, plus more ways to listen. Our live stream is graciously hosted by the official Dr. Jill Stein Facebook page on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The music for this episode is Keep Sit Real by Player 2, available under a Creative Commons license from the Free Music Archive. 